Let's go to the uh, Dude Maker hotline. I see Dr. Krasneski is standing uh, is by. If you don't know, Dr. Peter Krasneski, uh, um, I have this latest work of yours that just came in. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, it's been about three and a half years. Now, we were going to talk right before the the Corona doom began. You were going to do this Louisiana tour in summer of 2020, and obviously it went away, and uh, it, it went away. Uh, how have you been, my friend? I've been very well, uh, extremely busy. You know, the, uh, the, the never-ending... Uh, sequence of disasters and catastrophes in the world, uh, you know, keeps me busy uh, 24-7 in a sense. But um, but also, yes, I'm well. My family is well. Life is good. Um, I, I live less than a mile from a fraternity of St. Peter Parish, and I get to walk to Mass most days of the week, um, sing in the Skola. So, I mean, it, it, there, is, there are so many blessings. And there are also so many crises, right? This is our this is life. <laughs> um, what I really want to talk about with you today, Doctor, is your is your tour here. You're coming to visit us here in uh, La Louisiane, uh, in, in in Louisiana. Four stops. Tell me what the four stops are. Yes, I'll be in Sulphur on July 20th. That's this Thursday. Um, I'll be in Lafayette or more precisely grand coteau have i said that correctly? grand coteau grand coteau yes um on on the next day friday the 21st i'll be in covington on saturday the 22nd and i'll be in new orleans on sunday the 23rd so just four days in a row straight across west to east now the lectures go in a series though right this is not this you're not you're not giving the same talk in sulfur that you're giving in new orleans Exactly. I never, I never, ever repeat talks on a lecture tour. I mean, granted, almost nobody who hears me in Sulphur is going to drive to New Orleans to hear me there. So in a way, it's not for them. It's more for me. I just don't like to always say the same thing. It seems more interesting, uh, you know, for everybody to vary the topics. But, um, but yeah, I mean, do you want me to mention what the topics are? Absolutely. I'd love to hear them. So would our audience. So, um, so in Sulphur on Thursday, I'm going to be talking about lessons Catholics can learn from the history of the popes. Um, this is a fascinating question. It's obviously a huge topic, a vast topic. But what I do, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about high points in papal history and why they were high points, um, things we can be justly proud of. I'm going to talk about low points because we need to know about those. We need to know what the Lord permits in order to deal with the situation today. And then the third part is talk about Pope Francis. So that's what I'm gonna do on Thursday. Um, I'm just gonna go on a limb and assume that's a low point. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a good guess. If you had to guess high or low, um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Lafayette, I'm gonna be talking about, um, the, well, the, the talk is called Elevated by the Past, the Normative Role of Tradition in Life. Um, and there, I'm going to go into the question of why is tradition important? You know, traditional Catholics uh, are obviously all the time talking about how important tradition is, but why is it important? And how can we respond to the objections raised in modernity against tradition? Modernity is almost defined by rejection of receiving what's been handed on. We know better. We can do it better. They were 
you know, ignorant and foolish and evil in, in the past. And, and we're so much more virtuous. I mean, this is a ridiculous position, but, but I think it's worth delving into the question of why are human beings created for tradition? This is wired into us. It's right. hardwired into us. Um, so I go into that. Um, Covington on Saturday is, is you'll like the title of this uh, talk, Poets, Lovers, Children, Madmen, and Worshippers. Why, why we repeat ourselves in the liturgy. Um, now, to be honest, Madmen was sort of thrown in there for color. But the point is, poets, lovers, children, madmen, and worshippers are all famous for what? For repeating themselves. They say the same thing over and over again. But they, they do so for different reasons. Um, and what I want to talk about here is, what's the value of repetition in the liturgy? Um, because the liturgical reformers of the 20th century, they tried to strip out as much repetition as possible. They, they only wanted people to say something once. You just say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. You say it once. Just once. That's it. Right. Um, in, the, in the Latin Mass, it said six times, three times by the priest and three times by the people or the servers on their behalf. Um, where, why do we do that? Are we just, is this vain repetition, you know, that the Protestants are always going on about? No, it's not. It has very profound reasons. So I go into that. And then lastly, last but not least, um, the Sunday talk in New Orleans is uh, the genius of Christianity's oldest rite. And I'm referring there to the Roman rite, uh, because a lot of people, that is the traditional Roman rite, the only Roman rite there was until the 1960s. Um, because a lot of people, when they think about, you know, what's the oldest liturgy in the church, they might think, oh, it must be something Eastern. Everything Eastern, everything Byzantine seems really old. Actually, the Roman rite, as we know it, in all its noble simplicity, and I, and I mean that in reference to the Trinity Mass, is older. It originated earlier than the imperial court liturgy of Byzantium that is what we call the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom nowadays. Um, so, I mean, of course, these are both equally, they're both ancient, they both go back to apostolic times, but really the oldest continuous rite is, I would say, the, the, the Roman rite. Um, so anyway, I'm going to talk about mainly what its features are, why it does what it does, why it acts the way it acts. So uh, this is either be good news or bad news for you, but on Saturday in Covington, uh, I am I get to introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> as long as you have the bio sheet, <laughs> you're not making stuff up. I have all the bio I need right here in the back of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, I've known you for uh, for years. And I tell people when someone, uh, uh, Father Damien, actually asked me yesterday, he goes, "Tell me a little bit about the the, the speaker that's coming Saturday." I said, "Dr. Kwasniewski," and he goes, "Yes, tell me a little bit about him." And I said, "Well, he's one of the foremost scholars, I think, when it comes to anything Catholic and traditional. The man knows it." I said, "Not only does he know it, but he has a uh, he has a beautiful way of, of of kind of verbalizing it, or even writing it." out of literary. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So we're all very excited to see you uh, in Covington. And also, uh, I, I you, this might, might uh, may surprise you, but tradition is, is so alive and well in, uh, in South Louisiana that when I go to my new home, which is in Ragley, Louisiana, I attend Mass at the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales with Canon Moreau, where you're going to be. When I have my own events, my congresses here, the radio station has, and we have them in Lafayette, we have them at the 
Mater Dolorosa Center, <laughs> where you're going to be the next one. When I go to daily mass or weekly mass, I go to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, where you're going to be on Saturday. And during the Corona Doom, when we had no mass anywhere else, and we just like to go to New Orleans, we go to Old St. Patrick's. So I'm actually familiar. And everyone, I think that you're going to, you'll be surprised how many people you're going to see in Sulphur that you're also going to see in Covington. Oh, that's that's delightful. That's delightful. That should just warm the cockles of your heart knowing that you're coming to a place that's very tradition friendly and it's yes. flourishing well, well, wherever it is. I have I have I have picked up on that from a lot of different people. And I have some I have some former students of mine from Wyoming Catholic College in Louisiana that I'm gonna be staying with uh, while I'm there. And I haven't seen them for years, ever since they graduated. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to catching up with them as well. So there's a nice personal aspect to the trip. So Dr. Peter Krasniewski is on our Doomaker Hotline here. Uh, we haven't caught up in a couple of years. You had a couple of books that have come out. But and we could talk about the uh, the books, Treasuring the Goods of Marriage in a Throwaway Society. That's a great topic. That I would just came out from uh, Sophia Institute Press. Also, uh, I got the latest edition of this which also has your article in it about, and, I, and this is something I was reading and going like, hmm, I wouldn't have chosen that subject, but that's an interesting one. This is the lifting of the chasuble at the elevations, touching the hem of Christ's garment. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ask him about that because I had never, I mean, we all see the chasuble being lifted. Does anyone ever give any thought to, okay, well, I've always been told, and by the way, I learned to serve. So, and I played in, I can do MC. I don't do it because I want the boys to do it, right? Because I want them to become priests. But in a pinch, if they need me, if father needs me, I could serve. I was told it's because the chasuble used to be so heavy to get you know, to give him a little uh, a little assistance in uh, when, when when you lift it is, is that correct or is it more than yes. one reason exactly well so here here's what here's what i explained in that article <clears throat> that a lot of things in the liturgy have a practical origin okay but then as the centuries go on you know we have to remember that in the middle ages especially every literate catholic and also all the illiterate peasants who were steeped in, in a rich oral culture they had a natural habit of wanting to attach symbolic meanings to things. They, they didn't just say, oh, the priest is washing his hands at the offertory because he might have some dust on them after handling <laughs> the incense. I mean, that is true. That's probably what, why it originated, at least partly. But everybody was thinking, no, he's washing his hands as a symbol of moral purity. He wants to purify himself. He wants to be cleansed by God. And that's why he's going through this ritual purification. It's a ritual purification. His, even if his hands are already clean, he's still going to do it, right? <clears throat> because of its symbolic value. That's kind of that's an obvious example. Something like the lifting of the chasuble. Yes, in the in the early Middle Ages, the chasubles were very heavy. They were they were in the shape of a bell, right? The the cut went, the fabric went all the way down to the the bottom of the legs, and and it was and it covered the arms. I mean, these were heavy garments. And <clears throat> when the priest, when it became the custom for the priest to elevate the host. He had a certain amount of, let's say, um, uh, contrariety, you know, he had to overcome from right. that vestment. And so when the servers lifted up the vestment, it became much easier for him to elevate the host. So that is the origin of the lifting up of the chasuble. But <clears throat> time goes on and vestment styles change. And as you know, the Roman chasuble, which is the one that emerged basically in the, um, <clears throat> the Baroque or the Counter-Reformation period, it, it's a much it's a much simpler and, and more cut down shape. It's almost like a like a I mean I hate to compare it to this, but it's almost like a sandwich board. You know, it's just a, a front <laughs> and a back 
with 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 nothing on the sides for the arms. That's ex it's extremely easy to elevate the host, uh, and it's also much less hot. Um, however, the church is, is deeply conservative and would never give up this custom of the servers lifting the edge of the chasuble, even when it was no longer necessary for practical reasons. So what happened is people with this instinct for allegory and for symbolism, they thought, well, why, why are the servers touching the hem of the priest's garment? Well, the priest is acting in persona Christi. He's acting as Christ. That's why he says, this is my body. And so it must be like that woman in the gospel who seizes the hem of Christ's garment in order to be healed. Hmm. That's what, that's what that, that's what they're doing. Uh, and of course, that's a beautiful symbol and there, and it's not contrary to anything else. It's just a sort of add on like a, like a bonus, you know, we get this bonus symbolism uh, in the liturgy. And I, I think, I mean, ever since I, 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 I think I read that in a book many years ago, it's, it's definitely something you can find in the literature that talks about the symbolism of the mass. Um, and when it, when it, it, it sort of hit me, like now, every time I see that at mass, I can connect myself through that gospel story to Christ. It's just another hook with which the liturgy pulls us in, right? And uh, what may, may, may be surprising to many people, especially those who've never been to an old rite, traditional Roman rite mass, you've never seen this before, because the, the, the excuse for a Charles Bull that a modernist priest will wear, I mean, this is a windbreaker. <laughs> it's a colorful windbreaker. It, it's not, it, there, there's not much to it there at all. I'm not trying to be vulgar or crude or anything. But an actual real chasuble, though, especially the ones that have a little firmness to them, uh, you know, they do have a little bit of weight to them. But, you, you know, when you, going back to the washing of the hands, though, and, and then kind of tying this together here, uh, for the non-Catholic, you know, you should see there is a plan. The Mass executes a plan. It's a reenactment of, of, of Maundy Thursday, of course, um, uh, and, and it, it's, it's doing what Christ told the apostles to do. But there's a biblical plan that it follows as well, because when he goes to dip his hands into that water, he recites, by, most of them from memory, he recites a psalm. He goes, Altari Dad, Kirkham Dabo, or he was walking around the altar, right? He's reciting a, a, a psalm, the priest is, about uh, about going around the altar. Um, all of this, people think that there's all this stuff in the, in the Catholic Mass that Catholics just made up in the Middle Ages to fright Protestantism. That's just not true. The Mass is very biblical. There's so much Bible in there. Right. Yeah. In, in, in fact, here here's the key point, <clears throat> and this is something that's very very neglected nowadays. In fact, I would even go so far as to say there's a tendency to deny this or to ignore it on purpose. But the Catholic worship has always been deeply connected with the Jewish temple and synagogue worship tradition. In other words, the the early church wasn't a complete and total rupture with Judaism. I mean, that's absurd. Christ was a Jew. His apostles were Jews. They, they worshipped in the temple, they worshipped in the synagogues. Right. It was obvious that when they started worshipping as Christians, that they were going to take all of that over and elaborate on it and add to it. Christ inserted new things, that's the new covenant in his body and blood. He inserted that. But where did he insert it? He inserted it into the Passover ritual. He didn't just make it up, you know, ex novo, de novo, from nothing, from whole cloth, you know. And so, and in fact, when you look more closely at the history of liturgy, every step of the way, there are parallels to old covenant worship. 
not because we're Judaizers, not because we think that we need to go back and do exactly what the law of Moses says, but because we see the law of Moses fulfilled in Christ and in the church. And we recognize that God gave us that Old Testament or Old Covenant worship as a model and a symbol that is permanently relevant, even in a Christian key, even a Christian era. So, so for example, what is the mass? It's the holy sacrifice of the unblemished lamb that comes straight out of the old covenant fulfilled in Christ. Right. You know? and, and as you're saying, when you look at the details, all that the priest is doing, like the sprinkling of the altar with holy water, I mean, that harkens back to the sprinkling of the altar with blood in the old covenant. It, it's, there are so many of these deep connections. And sadly, in the, in the liturgical reform, many of these Jewish roots were cut off. Why? Why? I don't, I mean, we can speculate about the reasons, but it's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing. It actually introduces, ironically, in an age where everybody is supposed to be interreligious and ecumenical and so forth, it introduces uh, a gap between Catholic worship and Jewish worship that was never there before. And I've just add that one of the parts that you'll see, uh, if you do go to an old Ram Master, just read. You can just read the Missal. Um, there is a reference to Melchizedek. And you're like, well, who's Melchizedek? Well, look it up. <laughs> Get your Old Testament out and look it up. Uh, there is a reference to Melchizedek in there. Um, and it, it, it always, when you hear the word Melchizedek, Abraham is referenced. Uh, also, you have uh, Psalms are used during the, 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 during the Mass. Um, uh, there's just so much when people think that, that there's not Bible. Well, I go to a Bible Mass. Well, so do I. It's the Catholic rite. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the Catholic, the, the, the old Catholic Roman rite, which is what we're talking about so-called Latin Mass, Trinity Mass, it is absolutely steeped with Scripture yes. from top to bottom. It's got, I mean, I've, I've talked about this in various articles and books. It, it has, it quotes, you know, a dozen psalms from the beginning to the end. It reads the prologue of John's Gospel at the end of each one. You know, it, it's shot through with Scripture. And, you know, the, the, the new rite, people say, oh, it has more Scripture in it. Well, kind of and kind of not. It has big chunks of scripture at two at the places where you do the readings, right? right. So sure, quantitatively, a lot more scripture when you get to the readings of the mass. But the scripture that was per, that permeated the rest of the mass was removed for the most part, and so the liturgy as a liturgical action as a whole is less permeated with scripture, even though you have this honking big lectionary now. And so what it, what actually what the Novus Ordo does is it imitates more Protestant worship which just reads these long readings from the Bible, but doesn't have a scriptural ritual the way that the Trinity one is or the way that Eastern liturgies are. <clears throat> so it's, it's very ironic. Um, and when, when Protestants um, like Scott Hahn, who's talked about this, when they discover the traditional mass, it just opens their eyes. They, they say, oh my goodness, this is the fulfillment of all of scripture. It's all here. It's amazing. Dr. Peter Krasneski is on our Dunemaker Hotline uh, with us. He's coming to Louisiana, so if you live in Sulphur, Lafayette, uh, Covington, uh, New Orleans area, you're in for a treat this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the schedule, where can folks get the schedule? Yes, um, they can find it at my website, which is peterkrasniewski.com. Uh, and even if they misspell my name, they'll probably get to it anyway, thanks to the uh, wonders of search technology nowadays. Hey. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's probably the easiest place to get it. It's just peterkrasnevsky.com. Okay. Um, now, before you go, I uh, uh, because I don't want to keep you, I have to ask you, though, 
What's going on today with, it seems to me that the assault on tradition has been elevated. And I just want to share a story with you, and hopefully you'll get to see some of this, okay? You're coming to Covington. Yesterday, our church is obviously, our chapel is Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Yesterday was the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. We had a packed mass. We had almost 400. Uh, we did a procession around the, the church. We carried Our Lady of Mount Carmel uh, under a beautiful canopy. Um, uh, it was 93 degrees. <laughs> it was hot. On Saturday, we did one two miles long. Uh, so we really did, uh, Father Damien does, who you'll get to meet, he is, if they did it pre-1955 in Italy, we do it. <laughs> <laughs> they did it pre-1955 in Poland. We do it. Uh, and it's wonderful. We get all of these events and all of these, but we got the procession. And uh, afterwards, we had our feast day at a local um, uh, reception hall. Over 200 showed up, at least over 200. And uh, you have families from every walk of life. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, I went to Father Damien, and he and I had a little conversation for about a minute. And I said, Father, I want you to look at this. This happened since August of 2020. Look at, look at this. I said, what kind of a human being would look at this, this gathering, with all these children running around, playing with them, they're smiling, all these husbands and wives together, these families, generations, you know, you got mom and dad, and then their children. What, and, and there's enjoyment, there's food, there's love, everything. I said, what kind of a despicable human being would look at this and say, I want to put an end to that? Exactly. No, I mean, only a wicked person truly could, could desire the end of something that is so evidently good and full of good fruits, just like we, we had in the gospel yesterday for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. You know, a good tree produces good fruits, a bad tree produces bad fruits. Um, yeah, only a wicked person could want that. It's pure ideology. That's really what it comes down to. You see this with everything to do with the synod on synodality. Um, really, the whole pontificate of Pope Francis is a pontificate of ideology. What I mean by that, ideology is a box that everything has to be fit into. It's the, it's the square peg uh, sorry, the, it's, the, it's the round hole for the square peg. You know, it, it doesn't matter how much the Latin Mass is flourishing, it doesn't fit the post-Vatican II paradigm of the aging Vatican II hippies who are in charge. And therefore, they're going to crush into this box of ideology anyone who doesn't fit into it. That's what they're trying to do. They will not succeed, but they will cause a lot of bruising and scratching and heartache uh, and, you know, as they try to go about doing it. Um, but they're certainly doomed to fail. Well, and I think, again, when you see the the fruits, you, you mentioned fruits. When you see the fruit of it, it's it's evident. <laughs> no explanation needed. I can show you a photograph. Hey, I can show you a video that Father took yesterday. He streamed live. He walked around the room, and he was streaming live, getting everybody to say, say, happy feast day for Our Lady of Mount Carmel. I said, it's evident. You have little children going, happy feast day. <laughs> You, you have this, there, there, there is this joy. You can't extinguish that. I think that, that, I think this is what is driving part of this is that I'm not accusing anyone of being possessed, but they got bogeys on their shoulders, okay? The demons, the bad guys don't like this. They do not like joy. They just don't. Because true joy comes from contemplating God. 
I mean, we know that. And I think in the community that is formed through tradition, and I'm not saying that it's not possible to form community because there are wonderful Nova Sordo communities out there that are flourishing, I'm certain. I know of at least one here in the state of Louisiana. But tradition, it seems to me, because it's consistent, it doesn't change. But it acknowledges change, but it, it, it doesn't change the traditional parts. It's something that you can root to, and it develops, it cultivates, right? And it, one of the things it cultivates is this joy, this joy. Right. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful, um, the motto of the Carthusians is, um, stat crux dum volvitor orbis. That means the cross stands as the world turns, right? Um, and I think what's, so in other words, the cross is the axis on which everything else turns, but the axis remains unmoved. Uh, and that's basically what you're saying about tradition. Tradition, by remaining itself and unmoved, is something that we can base our lives on. We can, we can build everything else around it because it's a stable foundation. It is. Uh, get your uh, all the talks are presented free of charge. So the, uh, the host sites are paying for it. You bring in books with you? Yes. I'll have lots of books. Okay. So I'll be happy to sign copies for anybody who shows up. Okay. So four dates. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thursday is Sulphur, Louisiana, the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales. Uh, Friday is Lafayette or Grand Coteau. It's actually Arnoville is where you'll actually be. Arnoville, and that is the Matra Dolorosa uh, Convention Center, uh, where our congresses are. Saturday is Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Covington, and Saturday is the reception area of Old St. Patrick's uh, uh, Church in beautiful downtown. Uh, that part of New Orleans actually is beautiful. You meant to say Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. I said Sunday. Yeah. Sunday is, 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 is uh, anytime you get to go to Old St. Patrick's, that's a treat anyway. Uh, so you'll be there with um, uh, Father Garrett O'Brien will be your uh, be your host on Saturday, Sunday. What a great, uh, what a great treat. Uh, if y'all have the ability, go out and, and meet Dr. Peter Kushneski and go listen to the talks. And uh, we'll see, I'll see you on Saturday morning. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it, Mike. God bless you. God bless you, Dr. Krasnessy. Thank you. Uh, Father Garrett O'Brien will be your uh, be your host on Saturday, Sunday. What a great uh, what a great treat! Uh, if y'all have the ability, go out and, and meet Dr. Peter Krasnessy and go listen to the talks. And uh, we'll see. I'll see you on Saturday morning. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it, Mike. God bless you. God bless you, Dr. Krasnessy. Thank you.